Good morning, everyone. For those of you who uh, don't know me, because it's been a long time, uh, my name is Jerry Jones. I have the privilege of have had the privilege of of uh, teaching here quite a number of times, although it has been a while. Um, it has been a while. I, it's actually, I think, it's been over. Well, I don't remember how long ago it was. Um, decades. But, but uh, we are going to continue something we started years ago. It's been three years, I think, that we've been in this process. Well, Jesus, we, I, I want to invite you uh, into this whole process. Uh, Bible study, looking at your scriptures, is all about you. It's all about you. We do this because we want to know you better. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would, uh, uh, that your Holy Spirit would come and would illuminate our, our eyes and our hearts and our minds, open our, open our ears and open our eyes. Thank you. You're, you're just the best. Um, so, <laughs> part 10. <laughs> so when Ethan asked me, so do you have, do you have a, do you have a, a topic? Do you have a title for your, for your teaching this morning? I said, yeah, part 10. <laughs> but before we do that, <clears throat> it's time for an unabashed commercial. I would like to share with you that um, I have been asked to do a couple of Wednesday night presentations starting in January. And, uh, and I, I, wanted, I want to uh, let you know about these, especially the first one. Uh, because it, it's going to require a couple of textbooks. So at this point in time, I have, I have uh, three teachings, and as you can tell, they're not terribly long. Um, and they're, this is, this is always a little, a little bothersome um, and embarrassing, but you just kind of got to go with it. Um, the whole idea of developing a relationship with Jesus is all about a relationship, right? Duh, it's kind of part of the, part of the uh, title. Um, and that requires time, and it uh, requires some specificity. In other words, you kind of have to you gotta do it. You've got to do it, and you have to kind of be strategic about it. And that's a challenging thing for us to do, especially 21st century Americans, is being strategic about our time with the Lord. And so this one has been on my heart for a very long time, is, is to talk about how, how do we hang out with him? How, do, how are we strategic in our time that we spend with Jesus? And, um, and, not, and not to um, um, toot my own horn or anything, uh, but... One of the things that, that, one of the things the Lord has gifted me in is, is I can be a very disciplined individual. And I have been specifically hanging out with Jesus for, I don't know, 40 years. On a pretty much daily basis. And, um, so I have, so in, so I've been doing it for longer than some of you have been alive, which is kind of weird to think about. Uh, and so consequently, I've walked through a lot of things, and, uh, and I, think I, I think I have some things to offer. So the two textbooks, and, and, and no doubt you're aware of at least the first one, 
And I think that Pastor Greg is going to put this stuff on some, uh, some bulletin or something so you have this written down. Is, is uh, Brother Lawrence practicing the presence of God? And the second one is Madame Jean Guion's experiencing the depth of Jesus Christ. So the, so the first one will be just to discuss that whole concept and uh, attempt to be a bit more strategic and comfortable with the process. The second one is uh, a fairly short concept uh, presentation of how to study the Bible. Nothing going nothing into any, any depth, essentially talking about a lot of what, what I'm going to do in front of you today and what we're going to do together. And the third one, which is probably what I am, uh, what I may be uh, at least professionally more skilled or as skilled in doing, because I had the pleasure of teaching in public schools um, in orchestra programs for 39 years, is just the whole concept of how to teach. The basic point there is that the Lord has given us things he wants us to understand and to share, and how do we share those things? How do we present them in a way that is palatable, that is understandable, sequential, and palatable? And there's a difference between sharing and teaching and all that kind of stuff. And that's, so that's kind of the concept of that, uh, that particular uh, presentation. And then I've thought of a fourth one, and that is how do you discern what is being taught to you, which is another process. It's another part of the picture. Learning how to teach is one thing, but then learning how to learn is another. And learning how to, uh, how to um, eat the meat and spit out the bones sort of thing. So that's, that may be part of it. So anyway, I just wanted to let you know that that stuff is, is going to be coming up. Okay, so the point of today is to get back on the, on the track. Uh, but if more than anything else, to, to um, present to you something that you can do yourselves and should be doing yourselves, and chances are many of you already are. Most of what you learn from the pulpit is what's called deductive study, where the speaker has a concept he or she wants to present to you, presents that concept, and then uses scripture and or other things to verify that that concept is accurate and correct, right? So the concept is deduced from the series of scriptures. But there is another way that we ought to look at, at study, Bible study, and that is inductive. And that is simply allowing the scripture to say what the scripture is saying. Not trying to put it into a box, not trying to give it any kind of adornment or garland, but just say, what is, what is Jesus saying through this? Attempting to stay within the, within the confines of that scripture within the confines of the context, the historical background, all of that sort of stuff. So that's pretty much what I've been doing over the course of the last whole thing with the book of Philippians. If for no other reason to help you realize, you know, all it is is about how do you ask good questions? Because that's really what it's about. It's the Holy Spirit, you and the Holy Spirit sitting down and saying, okay, Lord, this is a passage that interests me. There's something that speaks to me about this passage. I want to understand it more deeply. How do I do that? And pretty much, it's essentially asking questions. And then there are other things that help you with that. That's true. But really, it's about asking questions. And why do we do that? Because it's a a better way for us to learn about Jesus. Because that's really what it's all about. It's about Jesus. It's not about gaining knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. It's not about saying, I understand the scriptures. It's not about saying, I know something. 
So 1 Corinthians 8, 3, he who thinks he knows does not know as he ought to know. <laughs> it's one of my life verses. I want to keep that in mind. Because as a teacher, you, you pretend to know. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Hence the reason why Scripture says, those of you who, are, who consider, are, consider yourselves teachers or consider teachers will be held to a higher standard. Which means that when I stand in front of the throne, because I'm standing here assume, assuming I, I are a teacher, when I stand in front of the throne, Jesus is going to have more things to say to me that he ain't going to say to you. Let me tell you, that freaks me out. Scares the crap out of me. Okay. So, uh, let's just do a quick overview, a review again of what Philippians is. The book written to right, by Paul to the church of Philippi around 62 AD. It was a thank you note. This is important stuff for us to understand because this is part of what we do when we do an inductive study is we figure out what's the context. Who's the, who's the writer writing to? That kind of thing. Uh, Paul visited Philippi in his, uh, Philippi in his second journey, second missionary journey. If I lower this so I keep from getting that. Which way? Higher? Down. How's that? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> um, it was a letter that was, in, that was written in, a, in thanks to a, a gift that was sent to them. They were sent to him from, from the Philippians, from Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus had contracted a life-threatening illness, and in, uh, upon return to health, Paul sends words to the Philippians through Epaphroditus, and he thanks them. Uh, it is This was written during the time that Paul was in prison, although he had not yet been thrown into the nasty prison. He was in the not-so-nasty prison, but he was still in prison. And so the whole point of the letter is to thank them, and the most common theme is joy. Okay, so um, we're going to pick up where Paul left off, and we're going to kind of run through this fairly quickly, and we're going to get to the to the the meatier meat. But we got to kind of do this. So, so we're going to. So Paul had said some very personal things last time, as you recall, when he shared with the Philippians. Yes, I have things to boast about, but really they're of no consequence. And he said, I consider all the things, all my strengths to be liabilities in light of knowing Christ Jesus. And then he said things like, and these are, these are amazing things. He said, uh, that one of the things he tries to do is lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of me. That's important for us. We know that God is not a, a respecter of persons. He considers all of us the same. If Jesus had a reason to, he had something to grab hold of Paul for, that means he has a reason to get grabbed hold of us. And so when Paul says that one of the things that he has does in his life is to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of him, we can say that too. And that should be part of the reason why we exist. Jesus, why did you lay hold of me? Why did you grab me? Why did you save me? I want to grab hold of that. I want to do what you called me to do during the course of my life. And then he also said that, again, another amazing statement, forgetting what lies behind, looking forward to what lies ahead. So Paul is now saying some pretty personal things. And, and, and then he says this. 
This is, this is where we pick them up, uh, Philippians 3.17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. It's a pretty bold statement. Imitate me. But then he, he kind of clarifies it and he continues going. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers in whom I love, I long for my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So Paul makes a statement of following, uh, where's exactly what he says, join in imitating me. And then he qualifies that by saying, okay, there are people you want to imitate and there are people you don't want to imitate. And that's where he's making this point. He's not necessarily trying to give us things that we can compare people to. He's saying, these are the kind of people you want to follow. These are the kind of people you don't want to follow. And, and then he sets up this comparison. And, and here's the comparison, and this all makes sense to us. For them, the enemies, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. God is their belly, the glory and their shame. And these are things which is, are totally different for us. Our end is transformation. We will be transformed. And it's interesting enough that the, that the terms that use that are used to define the body in this particular passage calls it the body of humiliation. This is a body of humiliation. Who we truly are, we are humiliated by being in this body. Now, we have no concept of that. We have no concept of really who we are because we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. A portion of who we are is seated with Christ. This is, these are things we just, and maybe it's probably good that we don't really understand them, but this is part of who we are, part of who we are becoming. And, and, and the term that's used is this is a body of humiliation. And it will be transformed into glory. We know that. Deductively, we also know that because it's another, that's another passages as well. And, and so here is this whole sequence of events. We are citizens of where? We are citizens of where? We are citizens of where? Uh, he said this three times. That must mean something. He asked this question three times. I don't know. That must mean something. Because we see our citizens of the United States of America. That's what we see ourselves as. We are citizens of the United States of America. And I'm not suggesting that we're not. I'm not suggesting that we're not. But what I'm suggesting is that we have a citizenry of higher commitment and devotion. And that's our citizenship of heaven. If someone asks you, which would be really weird, wouldn't it? Hand out your passport. We really should have a passport from the citizens of, from, from heaven. Now, obviously, that would be kind of weird and dumb and stupid, and you would really throw off the TSA guys, and you would get yourself in trouble, so don't try it. But the point here is that we do have a citizenship in heaven which supersedes everything else. That gives us rights and privileges 
that we do not have. Now, we ask, of course, we are citizens of the United States, and we are happy about that. We're pleased to be that. But let's keep that in mind, that we are indeed citizens of heaven. And, and so all of these things are part of who we are. Our body of shame will be transformed, and we do wait. Now, it is for all these reasons, then, that... Paul makes this statement, and this is an important statement. He says to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. And that's a statement he's going to use a number of times. The the Greek word steko means to stand, to persist, to persevere. And the fact that it's in the Lord is something that's important for us to, rem- to notice, just to notice. And that's something I think that just takes a little bit of meditation on. Okay, so this really is a better place to end the chapter. Because then Paul changes gears entirely, Philippians 4.2. He makes this request about these two women who don't seem to be able to to. to come to some sort of agreement. But, but that's something which really has not much to do with us because it's specifically to these two. So we're, we're going to leave that and we're going to press on to this stuff. So here comes the real meat. And we all know this. We all know this verse. Here's an interesting aside. I learned this yesterday. You've heard of the Huffington Post? Right. You've heard of Kindle? Supposedly... Amazon keeps track of Kindle ebooks. Supposedly, Amazon keeps track of things that are underlined in Kindle ebooks. Because about a year ago, I picked this up, the Huffington Post made the statement that Kindle, Amazon said that the most underlined passage in any ebook is Philippians 4, 4 and following. Now, there's a lot to, I mean, now we're gonna, there's a lot to unpack there, but the mere fact that Amazon knows that, that kind of freaks me out <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> but, but so this, so my point being is that this is a, a verse that we all know. This is something that we all know. Many of us have it committed to memory. This is the English Standard Version, by the way, if it looks, sounds, feels different than what, what you might have. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, my word. Simple verse to read. Simple verse to understand what the words mean will take a lifetime of figuring out how to live in it. It just simply is. It just is. It is a life verse. So you ain't going to get a whole lot in the next 20 minutes. So underline that in your Kindle. <laughs> yeah, but underline that in your... Right. So uh, let's start the first part. The first part is which the whole concept of Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. He, it's, so, it's so important he says it twice. Rejoice in the Lord... I say again, rejoice in the Lord. Anybody know, remember the song? 
Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. It's a round. Some of you know that. Okay, you guys are going to start, then you guys are going to start, and then you guys are going to start. Here we go. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice. Okay, we could go on forever, couldn't we? But we won't. It's the best and worst part of rounds. Where do you stop them? All right, so that's a pretty cool tune, and it highlights something. Rejoice in the Lord. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And even someplace else, he says, to do this, oh, it's earlier in Philippians, to do this is no problem for me and a benefit to you. I think, I think that's in Philippians 2. He says it again. So a little bit of deductive study here. Paul says this, uses this term 35 times in his writings. See, now I'm, now I, you see how I've jumped into the deductive? Into a, because now I'm trying to make a point about how important rejoicing is. Right? So I'm, I'm really, I'm breaking my own rules, but I'm doing it for a reason here. So he says this, rejoice, are they up there? Yes, they are. Rejoice in hope, rejoice in sufferings, finally brothers rejoice, finally, finally, twice, finally my brothers rejoice in the Lord, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I rejoice in my sufferings and rejoice always. So there's something here that I think is important. Obviously, Paul must have been a pretty, either a happy guy or he recognized how important it was to be happy. So let's just unpack this a little bit. Cairo or Cairo, Greek word, and that's the definition up there. By the way, we do have to remember that these are not English words that we're defining. So when we want to find out the real meaning of a word, we do have to go into different dictionaries. We do have to go for the Old Testament Hebrew dictionaries and the New Testament Greek dictionaries. Why? Just because more than likely the words have greater, larger meanings than we're going to get from uh, uh, the Oxford, Oxford Dictionary or, or whatever dictionary you happen to use. To be cheer-filled, calmly happy or well-off, to be joyful, full of joy, to be well and to thrive. And it was also used as a salutation. Cairo, they would say to each other. Rejoice. That was something they would say to each other. So uh, Paul was apparently a pretty happy guy, or at least he wanted people to be pretty happy. Now, do you remember in the, in the what was it, the 80s? That tune that went around was pretty popular. Um, Put, put Bobby Mc... Yeah. Somebody's already whistling it. So what's the problem with that term, with that song? Actually, the concept isn't too bad. Don't worry, be happy. I'm not going to sing it because it's really kind of an earworm. I'd rather have you thinking the other one, not that one. Don't worry, be happy. There's some element to that, element of truth in that. But what's missing? Sing the song again to yourself in your head. What's missing? In the Lord. 
That's missing. That's important. Remember, how should we, where should we stand firm? In the Lord. See, th- now, this is now becoming an important element. Twice now, Paul has made, that, has made that point. What does it mean to be in the Lord is a question that we need to ask ourselves. He never really defines it, but it's a question we and I need to start asking ourselves. Lord, what does it mean to rejoice in you? Rejoice in the Lord. Not just simply rejoice, but rejoice in the Lord. What does it mean to stand firm in the Lord? Not just simply stand firm. That can be called stubbornness. Which is not necessarily a bad thing. Perseverance. Which is part of the definition of stickle. But now we have this additional thing that takes some meditation and some thought. Lord, what does it mean to do that? And then he says this, and this is interesting. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Interesting that it kind of flows from one to the other. Flows from one to the other. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be, reasonableness be evident to everyone. And there's a definition up there. Fairness, gentleness, mild patience, unselfishness, sweet reasonableness, forbearance, I like this one, being satisfied with less than your due. (laughs) That one kind of sucks, but that's part of the definition. (laughs) So here's the question. Why would he put that right after rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I say rejoice. Here's my suggestion to you. Because reasonableness is a symptom of rejoicing. If you are rejoicing, then you will be reasonable. Because what Paul is saying is let it be known. Not be it. Let it be evident. Do you see the difference? He's saying let it be evident, which meaning it's already there. How did it get there? Because you're rejoicing in the Lord. If you rejoice in the Lord, you will be that kind of person. And then he's suggesting, let it be, let it be evident. And then he makes that amazing, bold promise that we all know about, but we need to be careful with promises. Do you remember we had this discussion? <laughs> Maybe this part two. When, when Paul says, I'll see if I can remember it right off the top of my head. Um, shoot. Uh, when he when he says about your faith, remember, Amy, help me out. Uh, he he makes a promise about your faith. My God, oh crap! <laughs> he makes a promise. Help me out here. No, he didn't say oh crap. No, he did say oh crap in 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 the third chapter. Remember, remember, he used that word. He used that word. Actually, it was a worse word than that. He makes a promise that, that the Lord will, uh, will take care of your faith. But we have, oh man, I am totally botching this portion of it. <sighs> right down the tubes. What? Nope, not that one. Anyway, I don't have it in my notes. What? I am so, have so fallen off the wagon right now. <laughs> I will never get it back. You guys at once have th- thought, hey, maybe this guy really knows what he's talking about now. <laughs> no, not a chance. I have lost all credibility. 
What? Say that again? Wait, wait, wait. I think we might have it. Hold on. What? Nope. Okay. Okay, I have dug myself so far into debt here. I have to go back and, and find it. Because if I don't, I'm in serious trouble. Ah, he will. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. Ah, is that the one? He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. And we, do you remember anybody? Anybody remember that? That was so long ago. And what we came up with was recognizing that if we were going to take that promise, he who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Christ Jesus. There were some qualifiers we had to meet. We had to make sure we were doing what the Philippians had been doing. And then if we could say, yes, I've been doing those things, then I could use this. I could make this promise. We have to be careful with promises if we're going to, if we're going to relate to the scriptures in an inductive method. Because we run the risk of taking something that isn't ours. And we have to remember, you know, the Lord does not like to be put in boxes, right? Do you agree? So we can pull something out of the proverbial scriptural hat and say, this is mine, and not ask the Lord about it. And the Lord says, no, it's not. Yes, it's mine. And so I'm going to, I'm going to stand on this promise. And in fact, it's not your promise. And it's, and so you fall. And then we blame our fall on God. Does that make sense? We blame our fall on God, but it's not God's fault. Because we didn't do due diligence about the promise. We have to make sure we do due diligence of what is given to us. So that when we stand on it, we're confident that what we're standing on is solid and that the Lord will come through. If we don't, he's, he's going to let us fall. Because he's more concerned that we understand who he is than that we get our pet want. Okay, so, so we're about to read a, a promise, and we, just, we, have to, we have to just be aware of that. So, here's the promise. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so let's just take a look at the qualifiers. Who is he talking to? Any of you guys Philippians? Okay, so, so we have to be careful now because we're not Philippians. Are there any other in context specific things that Paul is saying to the Philippians, like you did this, this was great, and because of that I can say this? And the answer to that is no, there are none. There are no qualifiers. Now... We need to step a little out of the inductive box into the deductive box. Do we see this concept in other places in Scripture? And the answer to that is yes, we do. We do see this concept of, of not worrying, of the peace of God, of all those kind of things. We see this concept. So we have the right to come back to this promise and say there are no qualifiers there's nothing specific that I that that this I can take this as my own. Does that make sense? It's really important that we do that because then we can stand on it. 
And my opinion is we can, I can take this as my own. I can take this verse as my own. And 99.9% of the Christian community would agree with that. All right. So that's important. So hooray, we can do this. So it is, is it for us? Yes. So the first step, be not anxious about, don't be anxious about anything. Really, what Paul is saying here is don't be anxious. The word anything is, is, a, is an English word that's included to, to help verify the, 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 what, what Paul is saying. But the Greek is, is essentially don't be anxious. Just don't be anxious, period. There's no anything, just don't be anxious. Uh, there's, the, there's the term, the definition of, and it's, a, and it's a negative. There's a negative participle in front of it. So that's the definition of anxious. To have care, to have thought, to be solicitous, to be troubled with cares. And Paul is saying, don't do it. Simply don't do it. Don't do anything. Now, then he gives us our responsibility. First, so there are kind of, this is, there are three parts to this. Don't do this, do this, and this is what you'll get. Now, under these conditions, this promise does have a qualifier. It is to us, but we can't get the third part before we do the first two. First part is what? Don't be anxious. Here's the second part. Everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. You have to do that. But interestingly enough, he uses two terms. He uses prayer and supplication. And which one does he count first? Prayer. And there's a list of some of the things that are part of prayer. I'm going to suggest to you that prayer is a substantial portion of our, of our relationship with Jesus. That there's something to that. Again, these are things that just takes a, take a long time to, to mine. This is, the, this, this is why we study the scriptures. It's because this is, this is where the Lord's really going to speak to us. What does it mean? But in everything with prayer. In everything with prayer. Don't, don't be anxious. In everything with prayer. What does that mean? And then prayer and something else. Now, the supplication, we can, it makes more sense because supplication indeed speaks about doing things and the whole concept of, of asking. But I'm going to suggest to you that one is before the other and then which one does Paul add the word with thanksgiving? The prayer or the supplication? This is important. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible to worship the Lord without being thankful? Is it possible to really worship the Lord? Worship the Lord? It's not possible. It's not because if, you're, if you don't, because worshiping him means acknowledging who he is. And when you begin to acknowledge who he is, you have no way, you, you, have, you have to recognize there's a level of thankfulness there. You just simply have to. Is there a way of being devoted to him without being thankful for him? That doesn't, you, you see how thankfulness is part of the definition of those things? Thankfulness is part of the definition of those things. 
Is it possible to be in a relationship with him without more times than not saying, oh, Jesus, you're, I just really thank you for my life. Even though it's crap, I really thank you for my life. <laughs> there is an element. Anytime we come to God in our relationship with him, in worship, devotion, relationship, we are brought to the place where we just simply have to be thankful for him. We don't necessarily have to be thankful for our circumstances, but we are thankful for him, for him, just for him, for him. We are thankful for him. Agreed? Then he says, supplicate with thanksgiving. All right, now you got stuff you want to ask me. No problem. Go ahead and ask me. Just make sure you're thankful in the process of, in the process of asking me. And... Um, what have I got there? And if you do these things, this is what will happen. Okay, so there's part one, part two, part three. This little word, and, is really important. It's a connective word. It means one plus two equals three. So number one is don't be anxious. Number two is prayer and supplication which equals and the God of peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, or the peace of God, sorry. So, here you go. Those are some of the definitions. To rise above as supreme. All means all. And this is cool. And again, this is where we want to think about this because really so much of our lack of peace comes from how we think about things. And Paul is suggesting here that got the, all that covered, absolutely covered. And this is what will happen. The word guard is amazingly wonderful. To stare ahead with open eyes, to be a watcher in advance, to mount guard as a sentinel, to hem in, to protect to guard, to watch with a military guard, to keep a state of settlement and security. That's pretty cool. There's a lot there. And, and by the way, did you guys get the notes? Oops. It's okay. Uh, so all of these slides are on, on notes, which you can take. You don't have to hand them out now. It's okay. But you can pick them up on the way out. So all of these slides are, are on notes. Definition of heart and the definition of mind. Here's another one. Where is your heart and mind? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So we stand in the Lord. We stand firm in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. Our hearts are in, in the Lord. So this, this location becomes really very important. Again, this is one of these things where it just takes some, it takes some thinking about it. It takes some meditation. It takes some study. This is not something that, that anybody can just simply give it to you and you can walk away. This is something you need to chew on. This is not milk that you can just drink. This is meat that needs to be chewed. Why do we chew our food? 
What would happen if we didn't chew our food? We'd choke on it. That would be the worst case scenario, choking on it. What's the least case scenario? I don't get anything out of it, right? Just passes right straight through. I get nothing from it. So in other words, if I want, if I want my body to be benefited by what I put in my mouth, I have to chew it. And that is, again, I'm being deductive here, that is certainly a scriptural uh, metaphor. And we need to chew this stuff. And it takes time to chew, right? It's the downside of eating. Sometimes it takes time. It's not like drinking, you can just slam it down. You know, and it just does what it does. This is meat. It takes time. You have to sit and chew it and mull it over and work it through. And maybe you even have to be a cow. (laughs) And why did I say that? How many stomachs do cows have? Four. Meaning that they have to chew four times, or at least three times. Right? And that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to do that. That's the wonderful thing about having it in... In having the scriptures in paper form, we can look at it. We can think about it. We can meditate on it. We can ask the Holy Spirit, what's going on here? We, can, we get to do that. All right, here's a little less, ob- couple of less obvious thoughts that you may or may not have thought about. Do you notice that Paul makes no promise about the supplication? He doesn't say, and you'll get your wish. He doesn't say that. He says that your hearts will be your your hearts and mind will be guarded, but it doesn't tell you anything about whether or not you're going to get what you want. It's as if it doesn't matter. Just saying. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not going to go there. But what I'm going to say, I'm just simply say that Paul says nothing about whether or not you're going to get your supplication. And the other one is just recognizing where your heart is and that your heart is in Jesus. Your heart is in Christ Jesus, which is really important. So, um, I'm going to stop there. And I, uh, For good or for ill, um, uh, Pastor John will not be here next week, which means that I will be. So this is your cue to not show up next week. I sort of had hoped at one time that uh, I would get through all of Philippians <laughs> um, to this week and next week. It ain't going to happen. So I was kind of hoping I could finish in three years, but, you know, well, that's the way it goes. So we're we're about to we're about to have communion and uh, and uh, um, I'll I'll just pray, that's okay, and then so the ushers can bring their stuff up, or how how we do how we how are we doing this, Greg? Oh man, don't do that to me. I mean, I've already totally biffed it once. Don't make me biff it twice. I. I, I 
<laughs> no, I actually, I kind of want to pray. I kind of want to bring some conclusion to this. So, um, pass it around, maybe? Is that, is that okay? Okay. So, <laughs> geez, it's really a good thing that I never went into this as a profession, huh? Being a pastor, I mean, not a chance. Um, I'll, I'll catch mine later, thank you very much. So, as we are having this opportunity to be thankful for the fact that Jesus did, uh, did, did die for us, and all of these things that, that communion relates and means to us, both corporately and individually, let's find ourselves pulling this takeaway together about, about uh, this last 35 minutes or so of, of conversation and discussion. That we have a responsibility to take this promise. Our responsibility is, first of all, to do what? Can we do two things at once? Our responsibility is, first of all, to do what? What was the one of the first three things? Thank you. Somebody's listening. To not be anxious. What was the second thing? Prayer and supplication. And then with thanksgiving. And then what was the third thing? We get it. We get it. One One plus two equals three. Two qualifiers, one promise. Jesus, it is so great that, that through, through Paul you gave us this amazingly tremendous promise. Because this, probably more than anything, is one promise we need to embrace fully, wholly, and completely. Because if there's anything that we need... It is your peace guarding our hearts and minds because so much of what we deal with on a regular basis, especially in in 21st century America, is all built around what's happening in our hearts and our minds. The struggles, the frustrations, the issues, the things that we are asking about because in so many ways we're so blessed. Lord Jesus, I pray that even as we partake of these elements and we are reminded of the amazing thing that you did for us, that you did it, (laughs) you did it so that we have nothing to be anxious about. You did it so we have nothing to be anxious about. We have no reason to be anxious. We have no reason. We have no reason. I pray, Lord Jesus, during the course of, 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 of this time and, and of ensuing days and weeks and months and years that, that you would provide us insight as far as what it means to, have, to pray, to have a relationship with you. 
and then what it means to appropriately ask. So that we just we just don't we just don't worry. We just simply don't. Because our hearts and minds are so protected because they're guarded by you. And these are privileges that we have because we are citizens of heaven. These are privileges that we have because we are in you. We stand in you. We remain in you. We rejoice in you. It is all about you. And it is our privilege to with Paul be able to say, to know you, we want to know you. The power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering to be conformed to your death that we might obtain from the resurrection out among the dead. You are amazing, Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Amen. You are released. To do what three things? To do what three things? To don't be anxious. Pray and supplicate with and have your hearts and minds guarded. Amen. Amen.